This week on Geeksplained, to celebrate my birthday, I'm doing something a little different here as I give you my full spoiler-filled review on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is kind of a special one. I'm pretty excited to talk about this. Uh, first off, because we get to do a movie review. I haven't done one of those on the podcast in a little while. And also because this is my birthday week. Uh, by the time that you are listening to this, I will be on a little mini vacation with my partner. We are heading up to Big Bear for a few days to just kind of kick back, relax, get out of the city for a little while and even though uh, we're taking some time off and I'm going to be shut away from the wider world for a little bit I wanted to drop this as my birthday gift to you and I also really wanted to talk about the Suicide Squad I've watched it twice now as I am recording this podcast and I have lots of thoughts on it so we're going to dive right into that I cannot wait to share all my thoughts about this and I'm also going to be talking about where it places in the Harley Quilogy. I'm also going to give you a quick comics countdown to tell you all about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week and we're going to be rounding things out with some Geeksplain mailbag so look forward to all that. Uh, No news segment this week because I am recording this a little bit early uh, prior to going out on vacation so no news segment. I will catch up on all the news I missed in next week's episode, but for now, let's go ahead and dive right into my spoiler-filled review of The Suicide Squad. So I'm going to let you know right up front, I have no notes written for this. Um, This is just kind of a quick little, uh, quick and dirty spoiler review that I wanted to put out there because I had a lot of thoughts about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, It's not going to be as structured as most of my episodes are, but I figured it'd be fun to just kind of do an off-the-cuff, you know, spoiler-filled review for the film. I haven't done uh, film reviews on the podcast in a while, and it's kind of nice to go back to it and just kind of jump back into something that's familiar. So I'm recording this after just watching the film for the second time. I have, I watched it uh, last night, and then I watched it again today just to kind of like keep my memory fresh for it. And I'm just going to let you know right now, this is a good film. This is a very good film. Uh, I enjoyed it a whole heck of a lot. Suicide Squad as a whole has been a has been a team that I've been fascinated by, but it's never been like my, oh, this is my go-to stuff. And I talked about it on last week's episode when I did the comics catch-up for this. But I was very interested when this film was announced to see just how they would handle the film and how they would handle all of the stuff that went into it because they said pretty 
up front that this wasn't technically a sequel, but it also wasn't technically a new franchise so it's almost it falls in that soft reboot category where there are characters here amanda waller rick flag harley quinn captain boomerang who are familiar with each other and they have that rapport so you and they're played by the same actors so in a way you can kind of assume that the events of the first movie happened maybe not exactly how the movie went or not either way but these characters know each other and i was kind of taken aback by how that was because i kind of figured oh this is you know it's a new director it's a new tone new everything so we're really gonna just kind of throw everything in the bin but in a way i think that kind of works in the film's favor because the film itself kind of goes on the understanding that the audience knows what task force x is about it kind of runs through the quick like yeah yada 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 bomb in your head you do the crime or you do the mission we shave time off your sentence and they just kind of blow right into it and i thought that was really really well done um I am going to give a quick moment of silence for my boy, Digger Harkness, Captain Boomerang, who went out like a bit of a chump. So, a uh, moment of silence. I'm going to miss that man, that beautiful Australian man. Um, I was very sad by that, um, though I was... Just uh, that 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 whole opening scene, I think they did really well with to get you kind of shocked by um, the way that the entire team gets massacred in that early, uh, early moment. I should preface this. This is spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to put it in the title. I'm going to put it in the description of the podcast. But if you have not watched The Suicide Squad yet, what are you doing? Go out to your local theater or if you're not feeling safe about that if you're feeling yeah i don't know it's on hbo max you don't even have to pay extra money for it just go on hbo max go check it out that's how i watched it that's how i watched the film i thought this was you know for me a great viewing experience because i could pause it when i needed to go to go to the bathroom like it was i don't know i enjoyed it but Overall, spoilers ahead, just be aware. But going back into it, like, I was kind of surprised that they wiped out the entire team, with the exception, of course, of Harley and uh, Flag. But the nice little bait and switch that they did with this film, where it's like, once this team gets wiped out, it then goes to, all right, how's team two? And you're like, whoa, what? And like just, you know, a few miles up the coast, we have our team two, which is our main cast. I thought that was incredibly well done. Uh, great little twist reveal. And I thought overall, the film definitely feels like a James Gunn film. Uh, this is the film that James Gunn went off and made during his exodus from Marvel for a short time. Uh, he went off in his exile and made a film who, you know, as only James Gunn could. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting about this is that most, um, most film goers, most mainstream uh, film fans are kind of used to James Gunn in the PG-13 realm. Uh, P- PG-13 is a very different ball game than Hard R, which this film absolutely is. And so you kind of get to see more uh, early James Gunn, where he was just hitting things out and really just 
oof, swinging for the fences. And in a way, it kind of reminded me of, um, oh God, what Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, it kind of felt like in certain aspects, like there were certain like camera cuts and zooms and stuff that felt very Tarantino-esque and the dialogue was kind of quippy. So James Gunn, it absolutely feels like a James Gunn film when it comes to the narrative, when it comes to the reverence for the comic book world that was built around it. And especially when it comes to the characters and their interactions with each other, James Gunn has a gift that very few other directors have and that he can take a group of characters that many people would struggle with to make them all feel relevant and make them all feel relevant. There is no member of this main Suicide Squad cast that feels irrelevant or less than. Everybody is on the same playing field. Uh, Some people may get more screen time. Some people you may get more backstory for, but everyone is relevant. Everyone you end up getting invested in, whether it's getting invested in one to see them succeed or whether you just want to see them get their head blown off. Like it was very cool to watch all of these characters meet each other, get to know each other and then get thrown into this whole thing. And speaking of characters, I just want to dive into the, uh, the, cast because this cast was stacked man uh we had returning i already mentioned uh captain boomerang just ah, chef's kiss performance from jai courtney his character was completely unchanged from the first suicide squad film which i loved he didn't change a bit i really dug him and it he made an impression and as he you know that last shot of like just his arms sticking up out of the ground with the boomerang iconic absolutely iconic Uh, i thought he was great um margot robbie of course killed it as harley quinn she is that character she embodies that character and i really loved what she did uh in this role and what i loved was that this feels like a full character arc for her um i'll talk about it a little bit later because i want to i want to talk about this harley quilogy that comprises of these three films but I really dug the direction her character went in. She has this incredible uh, action set piece. You know the one I'm talking about where she just like massacres all these guys. And I overall thought that she did just enough to make herself stand out while not making it like the Harley Quinn show. Like I think the, uh, the first suicide squad kind of went into for better or for worse. Um, returning also Viola Davis as, uh, Amanda Waller. I, I, it's it's Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Like, she's fantastic. The character's great. It's a match made in heaven, and she was wonderful. I do wish we had gotten more time with her, uh, just because she didn't really... She wasn't in a whole lot of it. She was definitely not in it nearly as much as the first film. But then again, we didn't have, like, some dumb, you know... Uh, tablet scene where it's like behold the face of god and like her she just pops up on the screen looking bored as hell like i liked what they did with her and i liked her little crew too i thought it was cool to have them uh at first like making bets on who's gonna bite it on the mission and then later on they kind of rebel against her in the in the or for the sake of the squad to try and save the world i thought that was cool and i dug it but Holy shit, I have to give the biggest props to the biggest glow-up of the franchise of the Suicide Squad, which is our boy, my good brother Chris Carter's best 
favorite actor, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg rocked it i loved him in this film and of course you know what they have to do they kill him they kill him as soon as you get invested in him um this was a redemption for that rick flag character and for i think joel kinnaman in the role um he was great he was fun he was quippy and he did that he did that playing the straight man role without it becoming boring or stilted. And I thought he absolutely rocked it here. I was really surprised and impressed by just how much of an improvement this was over his previous um, iteration of the character. And I just thought this was a great, great deal all around. I thought he did an excellent job. Now for the new cast, the new cast I thought was excellent all the way through. Um, David Desmalchian as the Polka Dot Man. I mean, come on. Like, he was fantastic. I loved his... Um, I love the way his powers manifested. Because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that is not his abilities in the comics. So there was a little bit of um, uh, creative freedom, we'll say. Um, there are a lot of thing, a lot of directions that you could have gone with the character. But for me, the whole idea of like, he's this, um, he's this guy whose mother experimented on him, trying to make him into a superhero quote unquote, and ended up turning him into this kind of like freakish, uh, interdimensional creature who has to expel these polka dots twice a day or else they eat him from the inside out. I thought it was really cool and a different take on the character. And I liked, I mean, Davis Desmalchian is just absolutely crushing everything that he touches right now, but he is, he's doing some of his best work in the role. And I liked this progression from him wanting to die to being so proud that he's a superhero before his untimely death. I thought he was really, really good. Um, King shark. Sylvester Stallone is King shark. Uh, Stephen Ag, who also played one of Amanda Waller's lackeys, uh, was the on set actor for the role. Uh, King shark stole every single scene that he was in. Nanawe was a delight. Um, I thought it was, I got really sad uh, at multiple points for Nanawe. First off, when he was in the van, and then when he was, um, he had this, you know, he met these friends, these dumb friends that he's running around the aquarium, and then they turn into these, like, piranha kind of creatures, and they start trying to eat him. It was very sad, and they, there were a couple moments where I thought he was dead, and it made me incredibly sad. Um, but thankfully, he survived. I dug what he was doing here. Really, really enjoyed him. Uh, Peter Capaldi, as the thinker, I absolutely enjoyed as well. Peter Capaldi is Peter Capaldi. You know how much I love him as an actor. Um, the thinker was not as... Um, not as comic faithful, I guess, as I was expecting, but that was fine. I, it The thing about it is, is that, yes, he wasn't like, oh, this mastermind, you know, calculator-esque type of villain, but they could have very easily made this just some guy. And the thing I love about James Gunn is when he's putting these films together, nobody is just some guy. You know, they could have gone to just some dude in Guardians of the Galaxy who has a collection, but no, they made it the collector. They could have had anybody be this whacked out scientist working on Starro, but no, they made it the thinker. I, I just, I appreciate that. I really applaud Gunn's efforts in making sure that the world feels like the comic book. Um, also, brutal, super brutal, 
really enjoyed it. And speaking of brutal, everybody who was in the uh, the A squad, I guess, um, Savant, Blackguard, Mongal, Javelin, all those characters, uh, they were fun for the time that we got with them. Um, we also got um, John Cena as Peacemaker, which I thought was a delight. It took me a little bit to get into him and into the character, just like I think it took John Cena a little bit to get comfortable with it. Um, It wasn't really until the moment where, or until the scene where uh, he and Bloodsport were like wiping out uh, the rebel camp, you know, unbeknownst to them, eliminating all the rebels that were in the, uh, you know, trying to overthrow this uh, fascist government. Uh, that I really think he clicked, and it took him up till that point to really click. Uh, the moment where he, and pardon the language, but where he's like, yeah, unless it's dope as fuck. Like, anytime that he swore, like, just because I'm, I'm a wrestling fan, and so I'm so used to Cena being very PG. And so anytime he swears, I'm like, whoa, hey, Cena, what are you doing, man? But no, this is Peacemaker. And it went a long way for me, who is very familiar with John in his... Um, in his wrestling work to kind of separate that. And that allowed me to get more into the character of Peacemaker. And I thought he did really well. And he did exactly what I thought the Peacemaker character would do in these situations, which especially like if you're familiar with the character, or even if you're reading the current Suicide Squad run going on right now, it very much lines up. It doesn't feel like a huge departure for the character. And I love that, just like in most Suicide Squad stories, yes, your field leader has a certain mission, but Amanda Waller's always got somebody working on the back end on something else. So that felt very true to the character, felt very true to the spirit of the um of the film and of the story. And it made me really excited to see this Peacemaker show, which is going to be dropping in January. Um, especially with the fact that like he is uh, alive and he survived this. So this isn't going to be a prequel series. This is going to be a sequel series, a spinoff, if you will, um, detailing him post this. So I am very intrigued to see what they do with this, especially with the tease, like, Oh, he's going to save the world, which, I'm kind of over, you know, superhero stories being like, oh, you know, we got to save the world. I'm getting more invested in stories that are just like personal to the characters. Like there's, you know, that's that's one of the things I liked about Birds of Prey. It wasn't like, oh, we got to stop this chemical agent from destroying the world. It was like, no, this guy's a dick and we're trying to save the life of this little girl. Like I like stories that are more centered like that. And I'm hoping that with all of the other Suicide Squad stuff out of the way, we get more of that with the Peacemaker show. But we'll see. All in all, I really dug him as Peacemaker, and I thought he did a great job. And then we get to Bloodsport. Robert Dubois, uh, played by Idris Elba. Idris Elba is one of those actors, right, who is just good in everything. Even if he's in a bad movie, Idris Elba is good in it. And this is no different. And this isn't a bad movie. This is a very good movie. Uh, But this is one of my favorite Idris Elba roles. Um, There is a little bit of stiffness. There are certain lines that I think his, uh, his delivery isn't the best. Like, I mentioned the, you know... Not if it's cool, if it's dope as fuck. When he, uh, when him and Peacemaker are having that dick measuring contest, um, when he goes like, 
damn, he's right. Like the felt very stiff. But again, like by the like I would say the midpoint of the film, everybody's settled in, everybody has a feel, and everybody's comfortable with their roles, which makes the back half of the film just friggin' sing. It goes by so quick. Um and he did a wonderful job at distancing himself from the deadshot role. Because as far as I can tell, um Elba was brought in to just, you know, be Deadshot because they wanted to recast because Will Smith wasn't available. But at the last minute, they decided to change the character because they wanted to open the door for Will Smith to come back. And in that vein, I would be very interested to see him come back under this new James Gunn uh, style of Suicide Squad film. But Bloodsport as a character, uh, they again, took a lot of liberties with here, but I've, I really, just like with Polka Dot Man, I really dug what they did with those changes. Uh, they separated him from that dead shot role of like, oh, he's this helpless daughter. No, his daughter is a criminal just like him, and she needs to be put on the straight and narrow. And so he's got a rolling morality. I loved his relationship with, uh, Everybody, really, but with him and Ratcatcher, who I'm going to talk about in a second, um, was really sweet and revealing his fear of rats. I just, I thought the whole thing was really well done. And I also liked his, like, um, I mean, uh, Peacemaker referenced it as Inspector Gadget. Like, I loved his gadgets, and I loved his weapons that would, like, were modular and came off the suit. And it's one of those things where in a in another comic book movie, it'd be like, oh, he just has an endless supply of these things. But by the end, by the climax, you get this moment where he, like, reaches for another weapon, and there's nothing. And he's, like, trying to, you know, find another weapon, but he's surrounded by Starro drones, and, like, there's nothing for him, so he has to, like, go hand-to-hand. So I really dug that. Um... Starro, Starro I loved, Starro was fantastic, uh, a great villain, a really, really good villain, I have a soft spot for Starro as a character, and I was happy to see this uh, treatment of the character, it was also very sad, and I liked that there was this rolling gray morality throughout the film, because Starro wasn't like an out-and-out villain. Starro was just lashing out after 30 years of being captured and experimented on. And, I mean, I would be hard-pressed to disagree with its... um, its order of business after being ripped from where it was happy, experimented on and tortured for 30 years and finally getting some freedom. I get it. I don't condone it, but I get it. And the, uh, the last line where it gives where it's like, I was happy floating, you know, floating around and watching the stars. Like it, it's bittersweet. It's sad because you know that Starro, if it was just left to its own devices, it wasn't captured by the U S government which great twist um, that it would just be sailing throughout the stars. There would be nothing going on with it. But uh, I thought that star was absolutely terrifying with the, with the star drones. That's always something that I have a thing, right? I've, I've talked about it before on the podcast. Face huggers are like my nightmare. That is like the worst thing. Face huggers and clowns are like my, like, I can't. I just can't. And so Starro has always been this really interesting character for me because I dig what Starro represents and I dig Starro as a character, but I cannot get behind the facehugger aspect. It just, ugh, it just sends shivers down my spine. I'm not into it, but I thought it was appropriately terrifying here. I thought 
as silly as the concept of this giant space starfish is, it felt like a big deal. It felt terrifying, and it felt like it could win at multiple points. Uh, but thankfully, we the day was saved by Ratcatcher, and we need to talk about Daniela Melchior as Ratcatcher 2. Um absolutely the heart of the film absolutely the emotional through line uh immediately when you see her for the first time and she's just like i don't do well in the mornings you know blah 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 i'm gonna go back to sleep it's like we need to protect this woman at all costs (laughs) this is this is the the this is the baby Groot. This is the Grogu. This is the character who we need to protect at all costs. And she really, her and Sebastian were the heart of this film. You know, trying to suss out, you know, the, uh, the why Bloodsport is afraid of rats, trying to make the connections with everybody, and just overall being a good person when King Shark tries to eat her and she's like, no, you wouldn't do that. Like, you wouldn't eat your friends, right? And I just, ugh, I loved their relationship. I loved her relationship with Bloodsport. It was just all around. It was very, very good stuff. And the reveal at the end, I maybe you saw it in the initial, like, flashback sequence when they were explaining her backstory. But I didn't. I didn't realize it was Taika Waititi playing Ratcatcher 1. And I loved that little reveal. I thought it was very, very well done. And overall, I dug her. I really, really liked her as this kind of uh, guiding light, this conscience for people and for the team. And so her role was masterfully, masterfully done. But the twist, the twist halfway through or I guess a little over halfway through, where uh, it's revealed that Project Starfish was, of course, by the U.S. government. Are we surprised? The twist itself I was surprised by, but the fact that the U.S. government was doing shady shit and decided to cover it up, not surprising whatsoever. But I really enjoyed the action. I loved the dueling morality, how these characters... So the 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 thing about the first film, the thing about the, suicides, the 2016 Suicide Squad, was that by the end of the film, you don't know why these characters make the choices they do, right? They all of a sudden make this weird left turn into, oh, we're going to save the world for no reason. There's no reason for them to be friendly with each other. It's just... It doesn't make any sense. In this film, you watch them go on this journey. You know why they make the choices they make. And you see that all of them are kind of a slave to their values and their choices. Peacemaker is absolutely committed to achieving peace at any cost. And to that end is willing to kill other members of the team to achieve that goal. Just like... How deep down, whether he wants to admit it or not, Bloodsport is a good person. And regardless of his past, regardless of the demeanor or the mask that he puts onto himself, you know, to show that, oh, he doesn't care about people, he genuinely is at his core a good person. And so that's what puts him. Uh, it makes him diametrically opposed to Peacemaker in the climax. Loved that payoff, too, with the whole uh, smaller bullets comment. Super, super good. Uh, the designs, the costuming on this was awesome. I really dug it. But the 
Overall, the film as a whole feels, like I said, very much a James Gunn film. This feels like a film that had to be from the mind of James Gunn. There's no one else who could make a film like this. Uh, I do think that he definitely had some influences. There's some. There's a little bit of Apocalypse Now in there. There's a little bit of Quentin Tarantino in there. Um, and honestly, there's a little bit of Suicide Squad 2016 in this too. I know this might be an unpopular opinion, but this feels like a sequel to the film um it feels like there there are a lot there are more similarities than differences in the between the two films at least in my opinion you may disagree feel free to let me know but i thought that there is definitely a through line um and not just because you know harley quinn is in both films i thought that the the film feels like the evolution of what the 2016 film was trying to accomplish. It is most definitely a much better film, but you can see the connective tissue between the two. The two films feel like they are within the same universe. And a lot of that has to do with the soundtrack. A lot of that has to do with the, um, the needle drops of which there are many. And I will say, um, I'll be honest, not James Gunn's best work. Uh, not that they were bad. This is not a bad uh, soundtrack by any means. But, and this may be, again, an unpopular opinion. I think the 2016 film had a better needle drop soundtrack. Uh, it wasn't implemented nearly as well as the needle drops are in this film. But I maybe I just vibed with the songs that were in that film more than the ones that were in this one. And also, this might be just me, but... Um, there is that uh that song which they kept going to in the in the movie that I thought was for sure that one song that's like ah I think it's like Barracuda or something. Um maybe I'll put it in the actual maybe I'll make it the uh I don't know what it is. I don't know what maybe I'll make it the um the intro song for this, but I really, uh, that's all I could think of with that. But I, I enjoyed the soundtrack. I think the guardian soundtracks are of course stronger, at least just to me, but I do think that the, um, the soundtrack is strong. It's not his best work. It's not in my opinion, anywhere near his best work, but I do think that he was, uh, the songs mean well, and the songs work for the kind of story that they're trying to tell. Uh, and I know that sounds really, I'm, I'm trying to not to make it sound like, I'm trying not to make it sound negative because I didn't think that the soundtrack was bad by any means, but I just, I don't think that it connected as well as, uh, as well as either the Guardians films, or really honestly, as well as the 2016 film. But again, still a good soundtrack, still lots of great songs in there, and the the knockoff score song that I can't remember the name of, um, someone's probably shouting it out of me right now as they listen to this, so um, I hear you. Thank you for letting me know. Um, but I, I really think that the... As much as the presentation, as much as the uh, narrative, and as much as the soundtrack, and as much as the setting, I thought 
making it Cordo Maltese was inspired. Cordo Maltese is a uh, prime DC location, and I'm glad that they used it. But as much as like all of that stuff contributed to the success of the film, it's really brought together by the performances and by the characters. Everyone there feels great. Everyone feels like they mean something in this film. I mentioned it earlier. Like there are no like unimportant characters, even the ones that die at the start. Like they're not unimportant. They set the tone for the film. They give us the, you know, the what to expect on this and also in the fact that a lot of people die in this film. There was a stacked cast and all of the, um, what was it, all of the uh, marketing was like, don't get attached. And it means that there are a lot of people that die here at the end. Uh, I think we're just left with Harley, Bloodsport, um, Ratcatcher, and King Shark. And I guess you can count Peacemaker as well. Um, those five, that's it. Those are the only ones that survived out of this gigantic cast. And that is incredibly impressive to me. Um, the fact that they were willing to go that far. I still wish my boy Boomer had made it through, but I get it. I get it. And I wish Rick Flagg had made it through as well, because I really liked him in this film. But, I mean, they can always go with the whole... Um, it can always go with the uh, Suicide Squad story that we talked about last week where Rick Flagg comes back. Why not? Why not? Revive him again. Bring him back and say, hey, look, we got another mission for you. You're back on the squad. Like, I think that that would be fun. And I think having Rick Flagg almost be the, um, the connective tissue between the films where he gets revived every time. He's killed in every single uh Every single movie, but he keeps coming back, would give it almost like a Mission Impossible feel where it's like you get this, you know, anthology style where he just keeps getting brought back. I think they touched on this in the um, the New 52 Suicide Squad run where I think it, it was either Rick Flagg or Deadshot. They, he kept dying and they kept bringing him back for more missions and it eventually like drove him insane. So I would dig that. I would really like to see that treatment given to it and I think it'd be fun just to see how that would shape his perspective going into each film having died in the previous one. So I think that would be cool. But um, when it comes to the film and the placement of this Harley Quilogy, and you can, you can write that on a book, you can write that and use it on T public or whatever, but, uh, just give me credit because it's, I think it's hella clever. Um, the Harley Quilogy, which is uh, suicide squad, uh, birds of prey and the suicide squad. I think this is a great trilogy for Harley Quinn's character. You get to see her start in a certain place in suicide squad, get growth into birds of prey and then apply it in in the suicide squad. Uh, the scene where she kills, uh, general Luna, and she gives that whole monologue about, you know, red flags and boyfriends and, like, why she can't leave, why she has to murder the red flags um, was, I thought, really well done. And one of my favorite Harley Quinn scenes, I think, that they've ever done with live action. It, again, sold to me just how much uh, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. She is that character just as much as uh, Chris Evans is Captain America, just as much as Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, just as much as Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn, and this is probably one of her best performances. If I had to rank them, if I had to rank the Harley Quilogy here, um, it's very tough. It's very tough because I absolutely adored 
Birds of Prey. I really enjoyed that film. I feel like it is one of the most unique films out of the entire DCEU. Um, if you want to go back and get my full thoughts on the film, go back to our uh, Into the Snyderverse uh, series that I did with Good Brothers, Chris Carter, and Andrew Kincaid. Um where we talked about every film and we did a deep dive on that film and in that episode and still here, I really enjoy that film. Um, I think it's unique. It feels like it is exactly the film that the character needs, but just like in all of these films, um, it's meant to be an ensemble piece, right? So that's kind of how I need to judge it in this Harley Quilogy ranking. Um, at the bottom, absolutely no contest, Suicide Squad 2016. Um, that is no question. It's still not a good movie, um, even though it does have a banging soundtrack. But for Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, between the two, it is tough. Um, I think both of them... Uh, equally flesh out the world of the DC universe. Um, Birds of Prey more focused in Gotham City, while um, Suicide Squad obviously the greater world. Um, and it's tough, and and it'll probably just be because I've watched this one more recently. But I'd probably rank it the Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad, and it's like. The Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey are, like, way up here. You can't see it because this is audio. But, like, they're, like, way up here, and then you drop it, like, three feet down, and, like, there's Suicide Squad 2016, just from just from a quality standpoint. But um, I honestly, I thought this was a great film, even better on the second watch. Uh, I think that if I had to pick a favorite character that lived past the first ten minutes, uh, once again, my boy. Captain Boomerang. Um, I honestly, I'd have to give it to Ratcatcher, and I don't think that that's an unpopular opinion. I think as the heart of the film, Ratcatcher 2 is a delight, and I'm excited to see more of her if they do show more of this character. Um, if I had a favorite scene, it's probably the camp scene where uh, Peacemaker and Bloodsport rip through this, ref this uh, rebel camp Uh under false pretense. I thought it was very, very well done. Uh, if I have a favorite death, if I have a favorite death, um, <sighs> okay. So I have a favorite death where it's like, Oh cool. That was a funny death. Um, I honestly, I think that the, the death that was utilized the best was the, uh, was the polka dot man death. Um, just him shouting, I'm a superhero, I'm a motherfucking blah, just like crushed by Star. We all saw it coming from a mile away as soon as they showed that clip in the trailer, because of course you get killed after you say something like that. Uh, the most shocking death for me was the Rick Flag. Uh, death, which I was not prepared for, and this he gives that killer line where he's like, Peacemaker. What a joke. Such a great, great line. Really, really dug that, but overall when it comes to the film, when it comes to um, how I feel about the film, two thumbs up. Big, big thumbs up. If I had to rate it out of 10, I'd probably give it a really strong 8 out of 10. I think it was exactly what it needed to be. It was a huge improvement over the first film in all but the soundtrack. Um, it took all of these great characters that, you know, run the gamut in the uh, notoriety of the DC universe. And honestly, and I've, I've talked about this before um, for different things, but it felt like a comic book film. 
You know, comic book films nowadays, um, and very early on as well, uh, start to kind of homogenize and feel like um, super paramilitary films. And even though this is on paper the super paramilitary film, this felt like a comic book film. These are characters that would only exist in a comic book world. And I think utilizing that, when you talk about characters like a Polka Dot Man, like a Starro, you get to the heart of why comic book films work. Because they are taking this medium that we all love and, you know, transcribing them and adapting them into a medium that more people will uh, enjoy. Because not everybody's going to go out and, you know, pick up a comic book, which is sad, because you should. And I hope that watching this film gets people to read more comics. But it's films like this that I think are going to be the best gateway for people to start reading comics. Because you watch this and you see someone like a Ratcatcher 2, or you see a Polka Dot Man, or you see a Starro, and you're like, oh, I want to learn more about that character. Well, hey, plenty of comic books to read about that character. Or... You know, great cartoons that get into the character. I still think, personally, Harley Quinn King Shark is greater than the Stallone King Shark. Just my opinion. But I think that this could be a great gateway for people to get into the DC Universe and to comics as a whole. So, two thumbs up for me. 8 out of 10. A great, great DC Comics film. One of the best, I would say. I'd have to think about rating in the wider DC universe um, a little bit down the line because it's still kind of fresh for me, but I would definitely rank it up very high. So, um, yeah, that's my review of the film. Um, if you've seen it, uh, I would love to hear anyone's opinion about it because there are going to be many. Just be respectful. Like, spoilers are a real thing. I got spoiled, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but, like, if you've watched the film and you're not sure if somebody else has watched the film, just be just be aware. Just be delicate. So, because um, this is a great film and it deserves to not be, uh, not be spoiled because there are definitely some gasps. Um, I had some very audible gasps watching this film. So in that respect, it is, uh, it is tense. It is heart stopping and it will definitely keep you on your toes. So the suicide squad 2021, a triumph in every single aspect. And it proves that in very specific circumstances, even if you live your life as a super villain, you might just end your life as a superhero. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks Playing Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was kind of a toss-up. There were quite a few books that I enjoyed, but ultimately I decided on X-Men number two. Two, uh, Pepe Larraz, Jerry Duggan, they are absolutely killing it, and I they're two issues in, and I'm already on board with this new vision for the X-Men. I loved all of the action. I think the art is stellar. The writing is great. The character moments are awesome. I love where they've kind of placed Sync in this whole story. I think it's really cool having him, his... Uh, He's almost like training with everybody's powers because as they've stated so far in his mutation, he has the 
possibility or has the potential to be able to hold on to the powers that he uh, syncs up with. So that's really cool. Plus, he's dealing with the whole life that he spent with Laura that she doesn't know about. It's very, very cool. I think all the seeds that they planted that will eventually come around and bite this X-Men team in the ass are going to uh, be very interesting to see how that all plays out. So very much looking forward to more. And that is why it was my pick of the week. But that's a last week's book. So we've got to take a look back at this week's books with 10 books. We're back into double digits. We'll see how this goes. But there's some pretty good books. I'm not going to lie. So let's go ahead and dive into the list. First off with a brand new number zero. This is I Am Batman number zero. Written by John Ridley with art by Travel Foreman. They are continuing on from Batman Second or the next Batman Second Son and telling the story of how Jace Fox actually became Batman. So all of the preamble, all the origin stuff's out of the way. Now we're here to get him into the suit. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The age of a new dark night begins. Picking up immediately from the events of the next Batman's second son, Jace Fox begins the march toward his destiny when he fights to protect Alleytown against the oppressive forces of the Magistrate. Using Batman armor and tech, he's found in Bruce Wayne's old base of operations, the Hibernaculum. I have never heard of this thing, this hibernaculum base, so I'm interested to see what they've got in store for him. Uh, On the cover, the bat armor is looking very uh, super heavy bat armor, which makes me happy. I know it's not going to be the same, but I kind of like the idea of it. So very, very much looking forward to this. Next up, we have Wonder Woman number 777, the lucky Wonder Woman issue, uh, written by Jordi Belair, Becky Cloonan, and Michael Conrad, with art by Emanuela Lupacino and Wade Von Grawbadger and Paulina Gonishow. This book has been really good. We're starting to head towards the apex, towards the endgame for this uh, Diana in the Sphere of the Gods story. So I'm interested to see how this turns out. The cover is very evocative. Um, Very much looking forward to seeing how this story plays out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Wonder Woman learns the hard way that fairies are never to be trusted when her promised trip home takes a sharp left turn into the multiverse. Welcome to Earth-11, headquarters of the Justice Guild. In this alternate version of Diana's Earth, the Amazons of Themyscira imposed their law on the entire world, and the course of history was changed forever. Sounds like a dream afterlife for our hero, but Janus has somehow managed to poison this paradise. Dane of Elysium, aka Wonder Man, is on a violent rampage, and now it's up to Wonder Woman to bring him in and clear her name. Back on Earth Zero, young Diana learns the real story behind the creation of Paradise Island and the price paid for freedom. Will she ever trust the elders again, or are the lies too much for the princess to handle? So that sounds really interesting. Again, I love 
diving into the multiverse. That's my shit. So I am super on board with this. Next up, we have Justice League Last Ride number four. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendonca. And I, and I, if I pronounce that wrong, I apologize. Um, but I've really enjoyed this story so far. Um, I don't know what's going on, and I kind of love that. So I'm really excited to get more answers. And it seems like this might be the issue to do it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Justice League disbanded when their last mission went terribly wrong, and Martian Manhunter paid the ultimate price. But the team learns that time is a circle, and their last mission on Apocalypse holds more than just the key to protecting a war criminal and completing their mission. It tells the story of how we lost Jean and why Superman holds Batman responsible. So yeah, it looks like we're finally going to be getting some answers. I'm excited about this. Can't wait to check this out. Next up, we have Infinite Frontier number four. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Paul Pelletier and Zermonico, as well as Jesus Marino. And I've been really enjoying this so far. I like the slow burn story. I like that we've got a lot of plates spinning. We don't know exactly what's going on with everybody, which I think is really cool. And I am very much looking forward to seeing how this story plays out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. President Superman finds himself in the wrong world, and it isn't looking good. Bones and Chase attempt to stop superpowered heroes and villains from crossing multiversal lines. If they can shut down the President of Steel, they think that it will serve as a signal to all not to mess with Earth Zero. This is only a distraction, however, as Injustice Incarnate begins to show them the worst the multiverse has to offer, and only Flashpoint Batman is there to lend the heroes some backup. So yeah, it looks like alongside Justice Incarnate, we're going to be getting Injustice Incarnate, so that's really cool. Looking forward to seeing how this is going to be shaping the DC multiverse going forward. Next up, we have a brand new number one, that being Defenders number one. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Javier Rodriguez, and I have been very much looking forward to this. Uh, The Defenders is always a really cool group, and I'm talking original Defenders, not street-level Defenders. We're talking cosmic-y, magic-y, weird Can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. When existence itself faces extraordinary threats, it needs an extraordinary defense. That's when you call the Defenders. Doctor Strange and the Masked Raider take a non-team of Marvel's weirdest, wildest heroes on a mission that will uncover the hidden architecture of reality itself. This cosmos was not the first to exist, but if the Defenders can't track Marvel's oldest villain through the deepest trenches of time, it might be the last. So that has a whole lot of strange implications. So uh, looking forward to picking this up. I'm interested to see where they go with this. Next up, we have Batman Urban Legends number six. This is written by Joshua Williamson, Matthew Rosenberg, Chip Zdarsky, and Megan Fitzmartin with art by Eddie Barrows, Chris Sprouse, Marcos Toe, Trevor Harrison, Belen or- and Belen Ortega. Um, I don't know if this is the last issue. Um, I don't. 
I I am unclear because the main crux of the Urban Legends book, which is the Red Hood story, is coming to a close. I don't know what that means for the book going forward, if that's going to be it for this, like it was prematurely, in my opinion, for uh, Superman Red and Blue, but we will just have to see. We've got some really interesting stories in this, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Red Hood the epic cheer storyline reaches its conclusion, and Red Hood's alliance with Batman will be forever changed. Will the former dynamic duo get the cheer-drop drug off the streets for good, or will they forever be at the mercy of the villain who created it? And will Red Hood find a new home for Tyler, the boy he's sworn to protect? Tim Drake. Tim Drake is in the den of the Chaos Monsters with the other kidnapped teenagers of Gotham City in order to free himself and the other teens. Tim will have to embrace help from his friend Bernard and hear something about himself he never knew. A brand new chapter of Tim Drake's life starts here, and you don't want to miss it. Black Canary Oracle locates some Batman weaponry missing since the Joker War, and calls in her old friend Dinah Lance to help retrieve it. Fists will fly, the canary will scream, and a stunning new mission begins. The ending will leave readers in shock and awe. Zealot the Halo Corporation sent their top field agent, codenamed Zealot, to hunt Maxwell Lord. But the villain has a guardian angel in the form of... Wonder Woman? A throwdown for the ages will ensue. So I'm interested in three out of four of these. Uh, the Zealot stuff with the Halo Corporation that kind of ties into uh, Wildstorm, stuff like that, I'm not super into. Plus, Wonder Woman being involved in my opinion, means this is out of continuity, so I don't know exactly. Again, I'm not sure what is going on with this book, but hopefully by the time that this uh, book, or by the time that we've read this book, we'll get some answers. Next up, we have Fantastic Four Life Story number three. This is written by Mark Russell with art by Sean Izakse. And it feels like it's been a little bit since we got uh, another issue of this, but I absolutely love this book so far. I think it's a great look into the Fantastic Four as characters, and you know how much I love the life story format, so very, very excited to pick this up, and I can't wait to see what the next decade brings to our Fantastic Four. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The real-time story of the Fantastic Four continues. In a story set in the 1980s, Reed hatches a venture to defend the Earth from Galactus. But will his plans be derailed by the Cold War? Sue and Johnny are invited to speak to the United Nations about saving the world. And a maverick computer genius offers hope to humanity with his new computer company. But is hope all he's offering? So that's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> but i'm excited i think this book has been fantastic so far no pun intended and i can't wait to pick this up next up we have detective comics number 1041 this is written of course by um mariko tamaki and matthew rosenberg with art by dan mora and Derek robertson and what can i say batman detective comics has been absolutely killing it absolutely killing it so far um i am loving this new direction i love the whole just all of this stuff plus um we're getting a pretty sweet looking backup so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here 
As Gotham's dark night of vengeance, Batman is seen by many, mostly criminals, let's be honest, as judge and executioner of the city's vilest villains. Well, it's time for him to meet the jury. In a last-ditch effort to avenge his daughter's death, Mr. Worth has teamed with the Penguin's criminal empire, the Party Crashers gang, and the Falcone crime family to form the kind of villain team-up that would leave a boy wonder sweating in his booties. Plus, Countdown to Task Force Z, Part 1. Deb Donovan is on the trail of some weird happenings in Gotham. Missing bodies from the morgue, tales of shady criminal activity, the likes of which Gotham has never seen, and the person trying to keep her quiet is... Batman? So yeah, we've talked before about the podcast on... Task Force Z, how it's admittedly a very silly idea, but I'm super into it, and I'm really excited to see what uh, Matthew Rosenberg has in store to build this up. Very much looking forward to this. Next up, we have Daredevil number 33. This is written, of course, by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. I am sorry to see our good, good buddy Mike Hawthorne leave the book. I do understand that he's got lots of stuff going on, but uh, he will be missed on this. However, I'm glad that we still have Marco Cicchetto because the team of him and Chip Zdarsky just really works, and I dig it so, so much. So uh, this is continuing on. The Daredevil is uh, in two places at once, both in prison and on the streets. Uh, One is Elektra and one is Matt Murdock. And now we've got some kind of weirdness going on with Bullseye. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Lockdown, part three. Lockdown continues. Elektra faces her greatest challenge as Daredevil yet, as a serial killer is on the loose in Manhattan and killing innocent people. But even the deadliest assassin in the Marvel Universe is at somewhat of a loss, because this killer can be in more places than one at one time. A team? A mutant? Or something else entirely? Whoever or whatever they are, they have a thirst for blood, and Elektra will put herself directly in their sights. Plus, Matt Murdock faces challenges of his own in prison after being exposed to a dangerous and experimental compound called Re-Sid that makes those subjected to it more aggressive and violent. Whatever happens, one thing is certain. Daredevil isn't getting time off for good behavior. So, ah, man, that is a lot. Uh, I don't know what is going to happen because Bullseye is already a deadly psychopath when there's just one of him. And if there is multiple of him, we are going to have some problems. So excited to pick this up for sure. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Batman 89 number one. This is written by Sam Hamm with art by Joe Canones. Joe Canones is one of my favorite comic book artists. And Sam Hamm is, in fact, the screenwriter for the original Burton Batman film. So I think this is a match made in heaven. Uh, Canones has been just seeding all kinds of preview art, his concept designs. Very, very excited about this. And if you were a fan of that original cinematic vision of Batman, this is going to be right up your alley too. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Step back into the Gotham of Tim Burton's seminal classic Batman movies. Batman 89 brings in screenwriter Sam Hamm and artist Joe Quinones to pull on a number of threads left dangling by the prolific director. Gotham becomes torn in two as citizens dressed as Batman and the Joker duke it out in the streets. As DA Harvey Dent tries to keep the city together, he targets the one problem tearing it apart. Batman, and he'll get Bruce Wayne's help in taking down the Dark Knight. So yeah, lots of plates spinning on this. Um, I think this is a fantastic idea in the same vein as Superman 78, which we're getting soon as well. I can't wait to pick this up. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have I Am Batman number 0, Wonder Woman number 777, Justice League Last Ride number 4, Infinite Frontier number 4, Defenders number 1, Batman Urban Legends number 6, Fantastic Four Life Story number 3, Detective Comics number 1041, Daredevil number 33, and Batman 89 number 1. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they help me out, they help the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. They kind of raise our stock up and get us out and into the ears of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five star rating and review on apple Podcasts, itunes whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can join the likes of our almost dirty dozen that being c fire nd josh from panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 doug from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks amazing spider fan and a lock and az want to say a big thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews and i cannot wait to hear yours we are Two away, two away from hitting 20 ratings on the podcast. It would mean a whole heck of a lot to me, especially since this is my birthday week. If you could drop a rating and review for this podcast, it is a podcast for geeks by a geek, and I really do appreciate all the feedback that I get. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you want to write in to me, if you have a question for me, you want to get a quick pitch on something, you want to learn more about me as a person, uh, as a comic book fan or whatever, or maybe you want some comic book recommendations that we haven't covered yet on the podcast. You can send me emails to geeksplained at gmail.com like these fine folks. We have three emails for you this week starting things off with a brand new first time writer that being Gaius McCain super cool name dude um, so Gaius McCain writes okay so if there was going to be a movie about a Spider-Man villain which would you choose and who would you want to play him or her I would choose Scarlett Johansson however you spell her last name is Black Cat your podcast is super good and I look forward to the next episode every week Gaius thank you very much for the uh, for the letter, I appreciate it. Um, I hope I'm saying your name right. If not, feel free to correct me. Um, I am always accepting corrections on my pronunciation of things because I am terrible at it. But um, if I had to think, because I really dig uh, a lot of Spider-Man's rogues gallery, I would have said Craven. Um 
But they are already making a Craven film with uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson in the role, which I think is actually an inspired choice. I am very into that. But if I did have to make a movie about a Spider-Man villain, I would honestly kind of cheat and go full-on superior Spider-Man. I know it's technically not a Spider-Man villain, but hear me out here. It does star... Uh, Otto Octavius as the uh, as the villain that inhabits Peter's mind. So if I had to cast an Otto Octavius, um, I think there are a couple actors that could really do it. I think I would be really interested in um, Patton Oswalt in the role, even though I know he's doing Modoc right now. But I think the one that interests me the most is probably Mark Hamill. I think that's. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's thought this, but I think Mark Hamill would make a wonderful older Doc Ock who kind of has to inhabit or jump into Spidey's body because his body is aging and he can't do all the things, all the supervillain things that he wants to anymore. So that would be my pick. Guys, thank you for writing in. I really do appreciate it. We now have a letter from good brother Brian Real. Always excited to hear from the real deal. And he writes in hi eric hey he says hope you're doing well i feel like i've been slacking on sending in questions i've got so much to ask and so little time always happy to have you write in brian uh he writes now for my question do you have a favorite comic that you make time to read every year for any specialized reason for example i love new frontier and make an effort to read it once every year as kind of a recharge of feeling good about comics or i read the klaus stories by grant morrison every year at christmas do you have anything that's part of your own tradition or feel good evergreen read that you just have to get to keep up the great work and happy birthday if you do a show this week if not i hope you enjoyed your time off for your birthday take care best brian well as we can tell i did end up doing the show though again cheated a little bit because i recorded this in advance but uh thank you very much brian for the for the email always look forward to hearing from you um there are a couple traditions that i normally have it's not one of them isn't technically like a comic, but every single year on Christmas, I like to watch the Comfort and Joy episode of Justice League Unlimited. It's literally one of my favorite DC anythings, and I absolutely adore that story. So uh, around Christmas time, it's perfect. It's a Christmas story. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's not necessarily a feel-good comic, but I every year uh, at some point I get the itch to read Mr. Miracle again, and there's something just really uh, cathartic about reading something that makes me cry. I don't know what it is. It's very strange, but um, I really, really do enjoy it, and I think it's a it's honestly one of my favorite comics of all time. Um, Beyond that, let me think, because, I mean, there are so many comics that I try to, that I still have need to catch up on, comics that I haven't read yet, so there isn't a whole lot of time to go back and revisit comics. That's kind of why I like to do the uh, Geese Wayne Spotlights, because I can go back, I can check out a comic again. Um, New Frontier is an excellent choice. It's a dense read, um, so I don't, I, I don't. I'm not able to get to New Frontier every single year. I read it every couple years, I think, just to kind of refresh. Um, a book, you know what? Th there is a book that I find myself reading every single year. It's uh, it's Hawkeye, the Fraction Aja Hawkeye 
every single year, I somehow inevitably find myself reading. Um, I'm probably going to be reading it again in the run-up to uh, to the Hawkeye Disney Plus show. But every single year, it is a feel-good comic. It's a comic that um, really just, I don't know, it's... It really speaks to me on a fundamental level. I think the idea of just a guy trying to do his best under um, extenuating circumstances speaks to a lot of people, uh, especially with how the last year has been. So uh, that would be my answer. So if you also, if you... um, Brian, I'm sure, has listened to this, but if you have not yet, uh, I did a top five feel-good comics episode. If you want to go back in the timeline and check that out, check back in the archives as early this year when I was particularly feeling down and I wanted to talk about some feel-good stuff. So go back, check that out if you want more, like, feel-good stuff. But, Brian, always wonderful to hear from you, and we're going to round things off with an email from our good brother, Aaron Arancha. Always good to hear from you, Aaron. Uh, He writes, Hey, Eric, hope you're doing well. Heard you talking about The Covenant and couldn't help but smile. Yes! Uh, He says, That movie forms a a part of a long list of movies that had 14-year-old me holding myself to impossible standards. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oh my god. Uh, he writes, Upon rewatching the movie, I couldn't help but notice that the best actor in that movie, after our boy Stan, of course, was actually Reed, my least favorite character. Some of that dialogue is oofs, yet still I rewatch that movie every now and then and still love it. Cool concept should be adapted into a Netflix series in all honesty. I would be behind that. In this world of Netflix adaptations and Amazon Prime extending stuff, I think the Covenant, the world that they built, is um is worth revisiting uh he writes another movie on my list is the classic never back down yes never back down i love that movie it's so bad but i love that movie um oh he says it's on netflix i haven't i didn't know that i'm gonna watch it um he said those kids were definitely not 17 years old by the way they were easily 30 uh also the vampire diaries what can i say it was 2009 and i was 15 fair enough uh, he writes, anyhow, I was curious to hear what other guilty pleasure movies you had that, although you know aren't very good, you can still enjoy. As always, take care, man. Love the pod, and we will see you next time. Clever. I see what you did there. Um, Aaron, thanks for writing in. Um, I do have many guilty pleasure stuff um, alongside Never Back Down and Covenant, which I guess we share, which is exciting. Um, I also really enjoy Sucker Punch. It's uh, one of Zack Snyder's lesser known films, but I really adore it. I have been very vocal about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker, specifically when it comes to uh, DC properties. But when he is dealing with an original property that is from the mind of Zack Snyder is when I think he really shines. We kind of saw that with Army of the Dead. Um, I'm actually very interested in uh, watching Army of Thieves. And Sucker Punch is not a good movie, but I really, really dig it. I love watching it. I think it's really, really fun. Um, And then I have, you know, I have uh, Guilty Pleasure movies that I don't know if I would consider, like, bad movies. They might not be great movies, but um, my partner and I love watching uh, Fool's Rush In. It's it's something that we love. It's a stupid 90s movie that I absolutely adore. And uh, it, you know, we always inevitably make time every year. See, 
answering Brian's uh, question here as well, uh, we make time every single year to watch it for whatever reason. So uh, that is my answer. Aaron, thank you so much. And thank you to Aaron, Brian, and Gaius for writing in. If you want to write in once again, uh, feel free to send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header and I will read them here on the podcast. And finally, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes, I'm going to be sending one up there pretty soon in the next week or so. Uh, so keep your eye there if you want to uh, keep up to date with the podcast or if you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter. I'm a little bit more active on Twitter than Instagram, I'll admit, but uh, both Instagram and Twitter were at Pod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Uh, yeah, if you want to keep up to date, you want to know what's going on with the podcast, feel free to uh, follow us there. I love chatting with you guys. So uh, we actually recently passed 150 followers. So thank you very much to everyone who's on this journey with us. And uh, I'm always accepting more. So uh, feel free to connect with us on there. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. I am going to get out of here and get going on my vacation. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening to my thoughts on the Suicide Squad. Feel free to let me know what you thought of the Suicide Squad. Side squad. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I would be very interested to see what you uh, think about the film. Feel free to let me know. Connect with me on the social medias if you want to send that in as a response in a mailbag. Feel free to do all that, and I will see you right back here next week. Same geek time, same geek channel for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is the birthday boy, Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. <laughs>